0: You're listening to the Pandemic Podcast. We equip you to live the most real life possible in the face of these crises. My name is Matt Bodker, and I'm joined with my two good friends, Dr. Stephen Kissler, an epidemiologist at the Harvard School of Public Health. Right now, it's hard not to look at him and just smile because we have really big news. And Dr. Mark Kissler, who is a doctor at the University of Colorado Hospital. Hey, you guys, how is it going? Let's go Doing pretty well. Well,
1: good, though I can't can't quite get past Stephen's appearance. Here. I thought you were going to really, introduce it as a fourth member of the show.
0: But. <laughs> yeah, that would have been awesome. So for, for it, those of you right now who don't support pandemic in any way, this is a time to get on because you get a live stream of the nuances and the changes of facial dimensions and hair on these guys. So Stephen, what's going on? What's, does, what's, that, does that even count as a mustache? Oh, come on now. I'm not sure. What <laughs> <all. laughs> <laughs> you can is the one that Mark's been growing as well. <laughs> I know. Now you guys are definitely brothers on a whole new level. Uh, yep. That's right. Oh, my gosh. This is he's, he's an inspiration what, uh, in more ways what, than one.
1: Oh, man. What sparked? What sparked the change? What sparked, what's, the, what's the well, yeah. So here?
2: so yesterday evening, Mark's kids took part in this uh, <laughs> wonderful Christmas pageant. There were a lot of remarkable things about it. Probably <laughs> top of the list was like Vera's ability to read, and then Maggie's. You know, they they really participated really beautifully. But probably the next most impressive thing about this was Mark's new mustache, which I hadn't seen in a while. <laughs> And so it had been a little while since I had shaved, and so I figured I could probably in the spirit of brotherly competition <laughs> come to the podcast today with my own with my own response.
0: Uh, that is priceless. You guys. Yeah. This is best. Like I really need to do a snapshot right now. Just 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 this just get the stashes right yeah, there. Pretty, we go. It's pretty bad. That's gonna go. It's
1: pretty bad. I
0: know that like in a podcast, you can actually do individual album work per episode. And I think I'm just gonna do that screen shot for this particular episode so this is a really big day guys not only does steven have a mustache which is almost on par with this next big news this is like almost i mean just literally a mustache hair away of the facts that the vaccine is out and available in the u.s right great news yeah huge news, super, super exciting. We just got an email
1: over the weekend that our hospital got a big shipment of the vaccine. I know it's getting distributed all across the country. And just in terms of and the next step in our, you know, I think we still have a long road, yeah. of course. And I think there's still a lot of things that we've got to, you know, got to do and prepare for. And we're definitely not out of the woods yet, but what a huge step forward. Oh
0: gosh, this has been great. I'm excited. I, 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 I would wish this is the one time I wish I was really old. So I could get a vaccine <laughs> <laughs> right away, but I'll wait. I'll wait my turn patiently. I, I'm an early adopter. I'm super excited for this. Mark, I think, will be our first guinea pig on the show. Is that is that is that kind of right?
1: <clears throat> yeah. I think in terms of my risk profile and the way that the state of Colorado is allocating vaccines, I'm in either the first or the second tier because of my contact with COVID patients in the hospital. And so I expect to find out actually later on today. And, and then there's a process for signing up through employee health about, you know, going into a clinic visit. Of course, it's a two-shot two series. We've got the Pfizer one coming in uh, right now. And then there's the uh, Moderna vaccine, I think is also going to be supplied, but who know? you know, I don't know exactly the timing for that, but it could be, I mean, I think for me, the the amazing thing is it could be as soon as, you know, it could be before Christmas that I have a vaccine and not only just me, but a lot of the people that I work with in the hospital system. And I think just in terms of, you know, everybody's safety and the safety of the community as we're working with COVID patients, Mm -hmm. that's great. So I'm hopeful that our first responders, you know, our fire paramedics, police, all those folks who are out in the community working with folks will get one soon as well. Cause I think that's, that's just another, you know, high risk. And as somebody who works in the hospital, I'm so, so grateful to everybody who's out there bringing patients into us, going into homes, seeing people, you know, in unknown circumstances and like tough stuff on the street, yeah. you know, sometimes and in people's houses. So hopefully this is just another step towards getting those people safe. Yeah. Also,
0: what's I'm curious before we get into some of the intro stuff, and we're gonna talk more about the vaccine just because I know there's a lot of questions going out coming our way text, email, but what's the general consensus the hospital I'm, I'm assuming right now you guys are pretty, pretty psyched out about this right pretty, pretty, pretty stoked.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think, I mean, I think there's a general sense, at least amongst the people that I've talked to of excitement and optimism, yeah. you know, the preliminary data looks really good. It's you it, we know that you guys have talked, it's an interesting kind of new vaccine mechanism. The other thing that we've been thinking about and talking about a little bit is, is what this is going to do to vaccination in general and our ability to kind of rapid cycle vaccines for other pathogens. And it's interesting because some of the infrastructure that's needed for an mRNA vaccine, like the, big freezers for you know the super cold temperatures they have to be kept at it got accelerated because of this Mm. pandemic and because of this process so it'll be just interesting to see you know after this pandemic is under better control and after we've kind of adjusted to yet another new normal with COVID, what this does to other infectious disease, you know, and I'm sure, I don't know, Stephen, have you guys been talking about that at all? I am, um, I am writing words? a research proposal on exactly that topic right now.
2: <laughs> so. Of course you are. Of course you are.
0: <laughs> that's, <awesome>. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> Excellent. that's good to uh, hear don't, though. Don't that, don't you, include that a you guys photo are talking about in it the, too. Uh, like yeah. it'd be
2: great to hear more about
1: like the things you're excited about. Mm. Yeah. You know, I think that's, I think that that's the big thing. And really in terms of just Yeah, since I've been thinking a little bit about the arc of this pandemic, too, and I've been feeling a lot like we're starting to approach a year, you know, this is it for for here. And it's definitely right now, you know, December 14th, I think, wasn't it around December 15th or something that the first cases were reported in China? Yeah, I
2: think it was. I mean, the first reports came, uh, I think it was like December 29th. But we think the first like actual
1: cases were backdated to right around now. It's been almost exactly a year. Wow. Yeah. And I think, so I think that's worth kind of marking in time, you know, and just thinking about sort of all the changes in our lives, all the particular losses of this year, you know, that we've had. And, and also I think while leaving space for that, you know, thinking about the ways that we've been able to come together as communities and, you know, I've talked a lot about sort of the, the sense of mission and the sense of focus that has come up through my group at the hospital and, you know, the providers here and, And between scientists and clinicians and community members and sort of that solidarity. And I think there's, there are some things that are, that are good and worth reflecting on, you know, over the course of this Mm. year as well, but it's pretty wild. It's pretty wild that it's been a year, you know, we've been living with this for a year and to now have sort of a new chapter opening up potentially, I think is a really inspiring kind of next step.
0: I am totally excited. And we'll talk more about this. Uh, a few things I want to chat about just again, before we get going, leave reviews. We love them. We haven't had one in about a month. It's been a record. So we'd love to get one on the, on the dockets. They inspire us and they keep us going. Patreon, if you want to support us, patreon.com slash pandemic podcast. little $5 a month goes a long way. One-time gift, PayPal, Venmo, all in the show notes. So the first thing I want to start with was a question because our listeners are great. They're, they engage us quite well. We have a series of questions. Forgot the gentleman's name, Brian. As his name, so thank you for listening, and I thank you for the questions. He has had quite the ordeal. <clears throat> his daughter has been infected twice now with COVID. This is not, this is pretty rare. Back, I think she was in Berkeley back in in March or maybe early on when the when the outbreak was happening or April, and then again just recently. So, and then they got it; their whole family got it. And see, as a series of questions I want to propose to you guys to figure out, you know, how to deal with this. The first one was this. I think this is kind of a common question on some of He says, with more cases of repeat COVID-19, like his daughter, right, being reported, why should the world expect the immunities from the various vaccines be any longer than lasting the six to eight months than the natural one? Stephen, I'm going to throw it to you. And like, how, how, do we, can we really have hope in the vaccine or are we going to just be in this endless eight-month cycle for the rest of our lives?
2: Yeah so it's a great question. We and and we won't know the answer to it for sure until we've had the vaccine for long enough to really measure how long that immunity lasts. So it's absolutely a concern, right? If natural infection causes or doesn't induce immunity that lasts for longer than that period of time, it raises the question of whether the vaccine will or not. That said, it is possible for vaccines to induce longer-lasting immunity than natural infection does, and they do that in in two ways that I'm aware of, probably more. But one of them is that the vaccines that have been developed are targeting a specific part of the virus surface that is what we call the most immunogenic. It's really, it's like the most sticky outy part, if you will. Mm-hmm. It's the thing that your immune system sort of best responds to. So they've already been optimized to generate sort of the maximal immune response you can get. Whereas when you have a natural infection, your body sort of undergoes this really random process where it targets all sorts of different parts of the virus. And some of those are well-targeted and some of them are poorly targeted. And because of that, you end up with this really big diversity of immune responses that a person gets. And that immunity can decline over time because they're just not really optimized for the specific part of the virus that is really sort of like the telltale signal of a SARS-CoV-2 infection. So that's one thing is that that the vaccine has been engineered to target really the most optimal part of the virus surface. And then the second thing is that with the vaccine, the the RNA vaccines that we're um, thinking about using right now come in two doses. And so that also allows you to get this second type of optimization where you sort of prime your immune system first, and then you give it this boost, which in many other cases of vaccines that we know about, that boost is really the thing that gives you this very long-term immunity because they're timed just right for your immune system to really generate that long-term response. Whereas again, if you wait for natural infection, you might not get that boost at the right time for it to induce that long-lasting immunity. So I think there's a lot of hope for the vaccine to give us longer-lasting immunity than natural infection does, but you know the the proof will only come when we've been able to measure it great
0: and I think I have this re- recollection stephen that it's also quote complicated that 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 it's not just the endless cycle of this that as i think you were talking about this that even in the midst of a 16 month cycle it won't be the same a year and two or three years from now as it is now just by the fear of fact of its general transmission as as it continues to grow kind of like the flu is that right
2: yeah so exactly i mean it, I anticipate that even if, you know, on average, immunity lasts six to eight months to natural infection, there's going to be a whole distribution around that. So some of the people who have been infected recently, their immunity is going to carry over to next year, which will help sort of slow down some of the spread as we move forward. The the, the precise sort of numbers there really do matter an awful lot in terms of how much spread we get and whether it's every year or every other year or if it completely dies out. And again, that's that's still something we don't have a very good handle on, but but I it's almost certainly not going to look like the widespread sort of pandemic level catastrophic spread that we're seeing right now.
0: Good. That's good news. Now, he has a few more questions. I'm going to lump them into one. Mark, I'm going to throw it to you as well on this one. He mentioned about how he got it back in, I think, March as well. So he's been suffering from chest pain, and also he mentioned he's a cyclist. So that for eight months, he like I think it was about eight months after getting COVID, he couldn't quite get his heart rate beyond one thirty five without chest pains. I mean, for a long period of time, kind of that long hauler syndrome. So this brought about a number of concerns. Number one, is chest pain part and parcel with with C nineteen you know symptoms, and what well, did exercise actually make it worse for him and make his lungs worse? He mentioned this context of, could I have cre- cre- increased my viral load and created more damage to my lungs? So don't mean to lump those all into one, but just to kind of simplify this.
1: Yeah. So a couple of things. First off, this is a good point in the show, as always, to remember mind everybody that we don't want to give specific medical advice because of the, there's a certain, you know, I, I would just not want to put anybody at risk if I was giving specific medical advice about somebody that I wasn't able to examine or get more, you know, information. And, and anytime I hear about somebody who has mm-hmm. chest pain with exertion, that's something that raises big red flags. And I think that that is something that should be checked out uh, by a, a local physician, you know, soon. And I, I know that by our correspondence that, you know, that our listeners has been well plugged in with healthcare and, you know, has, has been getting that, that kind of support, but just for, you know, for everybody else who's listening, I I think it's really important. You know, chest pain is one of those symptoms. There's a few symptoms that we just never Mm -hmm. ignore, you know, in medicine. And I wouldn't say, wouldn't chalk it up to a less acute cause if there's a chance that it could be a more acute cause, you know, more something more serious. And so, not, not necessarily going to take that and comment. I do think that there are certain things and severe complications of COVID, including blood clots that can cause chest pain. And so blood clots that move to the lungs, pulmonary embolism can cause chest pain. And there's also just a concern for the amount of blood clots that, you know, it's very pro thrombotic. So it's a, it's a very disease process that makes your body want to make clots. It also sounds like, you know, what our, what our listener was describing in his email to us was more a sense of, of kind of this long lingering, difficulty with exertion because he's a pretty high performing Mm -hmm. athlete to begin with and just felt like his lung function wasn't back to where he, he, it had been prior. And that's definitely something that I've heard described. And, you know, I don't, I, I can look, I don't off the top of my head know, and I'm not sure if we have any great data about the prevalence of long-term pulmonary symptoms but it does seem to be enough that it's it's not something that I'm surprised to hear it's something that anecdotally I've heard you know from quite a few people who have had covid that they just have this lingering sense the re- exercise restrictions related to covid it's worth going over that again in brief so in the past often when people had cold symptoms the doctors would say it's okay to exercise through your symptoms Sort of to tolerance, and that with COVID we've started to move away from that a little bit, and that's largely uh, because of the cardiac complications, a little bit more so than the lung complications, though it all runs together. There is a concern that COVID can create a myocarditis or create arrhythmias, you know, because of the way that it affects the heart muscle itself. That then, if you're exercising in the midst of an infection, an active infection, you could put yourself at higher risk for an adverse event. So something happening to your heart while you're exercising. So the recommendations now have been walked back and and to not exercise while you're having active symptoms of something that might be COVID or while you have an active COVID infection. And then to wait, you know, a period of time after, you know, after full resolution to slowly start to resume activity again. I don't think necessarily that exercise itself will increase the viral load within the body. And
0: so you got we you got to cut off there for a second. So can you finish finish your thoughts Sorry about that? Sure.
1: Oh, that's all. That and, and that being said that there could be other mechanisms, you know, if there's if there's other kinds of lung inflammation going on or something else, you know, is there a chance that exercise is exacerbating the, you know, or adding on to the inflammatory process that is already happening? Maybe it's a little bit tough to tease out exactly what the physiology is going on there. So I think globally, you know, in terms of what do we do about it, I think that not exercising strenuously, not exercising at all while you're having symptoms, slow graded return to activity after your symptoms are fully resolved is still still the recommendation.
0: Correct. And is a follow-up, because this is related to the vaccine, Stephen, you talked about this last week, but going back to you, Mark, this idea of the, the heart anomalies as well as lung anomalies in the context of COVID, going into long haulers, are we seeing any sign that this is a permanent potential reality for the heart or the lung? Or is this simply at this point in time? It just seems to be happening during the time you have COVID and not a lot of signs of something following you after Covid is, is finished in your, in your in your system.
1: I'm not sure we have okay. enough data yet longitudinally because I think the question is if somebody has you know some fibrosis in the lungs or some kind of a lung damage that is causing clinically evident symptoms. You know the longest time point we have at this point is still less than a year, and so we're not a hundred percent sure how that's uh, necessarily going to progress it, over time.
0: Okay. Great. Well, let's get into a few more things. We don't. We're on a short cycle because Mark has a family of amazing little kiddos who need to be educated versus a streaming connection. We have 15 minutes before they get kicked on and take our bandwidth. So, Let's let's that's hit right. a couple things. Let's go <laughs> relatively quickly, but yet let's not sacrifice quality. First one, just, just like that's the vaccine. A tough one. <laughs> yep, <laughs> that was a tall order. <laughs> Literally, <laughs> that was yeah. perfect. Yeah. I just I like, like the vaccine. Do <laughs> you nailed it, Stephen? It's that stash. It's like totally, that's really right. making it just. Uh, I just, know. Just razor I know sharp. Some wit, coming. yeah. Razor yeah. sharp, <laughs> like that blade you do not use on your uh, mustache. Right. Okay. <laughs> All right. Back to back to some really important <laughs> stuff. I hear some things in the news that we're seeing first signs of the Thanksgiving COVID wave emerge. Now, is that true? I'm not quite seeing that on my end, but again, I'm not looking at all the data. I'm looking for two minutes. So I want to first start with you, Stephen. Are we seeing this first wave or no? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's kind of a complex
2: landscape out there because Dr. Fauci was quoted just before Thanksgiving saying that there is this risk of a surge within a surge, right? But in some places, especially like the upper Midwest, and I think in Colorado too, you all were already sort of cresting your cases and we're on the way down. So there's sort of a surge within a decline there, and that's a lot harder to figure out what's going on. Certainly in places up in the Northeast, after Thanksgiving, we've seen a real spike in cases. Now, that could be due to just people not wanting to get tested over Thanksgiving because they wanted to spend the holiday with their family and then get (laughs) tested afterward. But we've seen also a spike in hospitalizations as well, and that tends to be a more stable metric of what's going on. So I, I do think some parts of the country have seen these surges that look like they at least coincided with the Thanksgiving holiday. You can't detect that everywhere. People probably behaved differently in different places, so it's really hard to sort of disentangle, but I think there's something there.
0: Okay. And Mark, going back to you, Stephen Ray kind of mentioned this. I saw in Colorado, like no sign of this. Mm -hmm. I just see that we're going down. The deaths are going down. Mm -hmm. It's great news. Do you have any sense of the contribution? Is that just, we're just waiting for our spike to happen? Or are you aware on your end of going?
1: You know, the the weather was really good over Thanksgiving. I think it was really easy to be outside in Colorado over that yeah. week i think that similarly to i think i just bear in mind with all of this kind of micro forecasting and micro yeah. reporting the ways that the just it's a little bit harder to to directly correlate our immediate actions with the immediate response. You know, we've seen communities where they, we've seen communities where they, I was <laughs> like, just laughing, Matt's, Matt's cell phone went yeah. off. It's like total rookie. Totally way. is. <laughs> to put it on Do Not Disturb. <laughs> totally rookie move. The podcast producer here is like a fielding oh, call. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Sorry
0: about that, everyone. <laughs> anyway,
1: there is, I think from a, from a standpoint of, you know, a person in the midst of the pandemic, it makes a ton of sense to be asking these yeah. questions. This is the same thing that Steven said, I think early in the pandemic is really it's variations on the theme of where are we, mm-hmm. you know, like what's going on and where are we, how can we orient ourselves in sort of the bigger picture of the the scope of the pandemic. But that being said, I think it's just really, really hard to draw in specific geographic locations even with specific events like thanksgiving the constellation of things and that cause and effect it's it's much easier to look at it retrospectively over broad populations i think and we i i suspect i hope i think we're doing a lot better job in the general community with mask wearing right. distancing avoiding large a super spreader potential events and those sorts of things matter so much and continue to matter and will continue to matter even as we have the vaccine rollout.
0: Now I got confused for a second, Mark. I did not know if we were talking about COVID or financial planning because like it's it's it's, it's like the person who checks their stocks every day and their four hundred one k. It's yeah, like like yeah, yeah like that's no you can't know your financial security over a one day period of time. It's the longevity of it, right? Right. Right. You're playing a long game and it's helpful to
1: have a sense, you know, and I I understand the impulse. That being said, it's limited
0: utility. Absolutely. Okay. Let's get into some, some vaccine stuff. I'm excited about the first thing. Well, we thought we mentioned that the troops land on literally, Mark mentioned Long Island Beach this morning. The troops getting the vaccine. The first one was administered live streaming to a critical care nurse. Right. This is really great yeah. news. So Mark just talked about Colorado. We heard about landing in California and Washington. I'm sure everywhere who has the plan. One of the things I want to start with is, of course, people are worried. People are concerned. If you think that it's going to affect your DNA or change your DNA, go to last week's episode or two weeks ago with Stephen. He helped understand the difference between RNA and DNA. I get more emails about this. We're not going to revisit that right now. Well, the one thing I do want to talk about is the UK issuing an anaphylaxis warning on Pfizer. Can you speak into yeah. this, Stephen or Mark or whatever, which one you want to go first? Yeah, maybe yeah. I'll start a little bit from the
1: clinical side and then Stephen, you can talk about vaccine concerns and, and what this means for rollout. But, and just to, you know, do you have a sense, Matt, kind of what anaphylaxis means or what that, that looks like? Because I think that's helpful too, just in terms of general.
0: I know about anaphylaxis shock, but that's about all I know. So you can make, help me uh, understand the details of it.
1: Yeah. I mean, just the the big idea is that it's sort of an overwhelming body response to an agent that causes an allergic reaction and it causes a whole lot of systemic issues and shock like you said is one of them so that being a low blood pressure difficulty you know getting blood to the parts in the body that need it because because of the way that your body releases all sorts of factors that dilate your blood vessels and so individuals, I mean, I think one of the most common allergens that we think of are things like, you know, peanuts or tree nuts can cause anaphylaxis. And people who have that will carry an auto injector of epinephrine often with them just in case they get exposed. Because you, if you act within that early period of time, you can reverse some of those changes that happen in the body that lower the blood pressure and make you very, very sick. And it sounds like there were two cases of anaphylaxis in the UK. And my understanding is that both of those patients, it seems likely had prior episodes of anaphylaxis or at least severe allergies because both of the patients had ep- epinephrine auto injectors on hand already prior to the administration of the vaccine, which I think is an important detail as we're gleaning a little bit of anecdotal evidence here. But also, I think it's important to remember that any any drug, any substance can cause an allergic reaction. It's something that we, anytime I administer a new medication, it's something on the list. You know, It, it could be something very, very benign and common, but per- causes a, an allergic reaction in someone. And so, I, from a clinical standpoint, I, I find it not surprising at all that as we're starting a mass vaccination program, we're going to start to have some allergic reactions just because that's very, very, very common with any drug. I don't know, Stephen, have you heard anything about the the incidence of this or what kind of what we expect in terms of numbers of a severe allergic reaction? No, I,
2: I mean, but again, we've, we've heard these two reports, and we know that the UK was very forthcoming with those details. And to my knowledge, we didn't observe any of these kinds of reactions in the trials themselves. And so so that suggests that it's probably a pretty rare phenomenon. And like Mark said, these were also people who had previous histories of allergic reactions to
1: various things. So, Yeah, I was looking just in the Wall Street Journal, there was an article that quoted the U.S. vaccine reporting system saying that anaphylaxis after vaccination occurs in about 1.3 cases per million. Mm. So that's prior to this COVID vaccine, but so it does happen with vaccination, but it's quite rare. But again, if, you know, if you're vaccinating millions of people at the same time and really scrutinizing, you know, the vaccine rollout that you're almost guaranteed to start to see some cases. Anything else on that one? Yeah. The only other thing I think is if you have a history of severe allergies, it's worth talking to a doctor and just touching base with them. You know, if you're in line to get the, if your number's drawn or whatever, and it's Getting close to time to get the vaccine, I think that it's a good idea to touch base about the particularities of your allergies. And now I don't mean necessarily seasonal allergies or like if you have, you know, you get things, you're, you're kind of like allergic to the environment or you have these mild. I'm saying more if you have a history of anaphylaxis or a history of severe reactions or a history of any. A true allergic reaction to a prior vaccine. It's just worth kind of having a doctor who can really understand your personal history and make some recommendations about the safety of receiving this particular vaccine.
0: Is there anything on, your do- like on the radar for potential since last week of side effects or anything this is to share with the group that has surfaced or so far, do we still see Pfizer and Moderna being an incredibly safe vaccine to take right away?
2: Yeah. I mean, I think that one of the things that I've heard and in, in looking at the trial data is that Yes, the vaccines appear to be very safe and very effective. That doesn't mean that you won't feel it when you get it, and I think that that's just really important to to really reiterate that, like, the, when you do get the vaccine, you can, you know, you can develop the chills, you can even develop a low-grade fever, these kinds of things like that, and and that's your body working and doing its job. But yeah, I think that's just really worth reiterating: is that you will likely feel it when you get it, but that doesn't mean that it's uh, a bad thing.
0: That also reminds me of uh, an article I read just a couple of days ago of a critical care nurse who was on the uh, trials right? for, I think it was Moderna, the, the vaccine, and seeing that she didn't know whether she had the placebo, but the second, the second round that she got, she got 104.3 fever that night. And so now she was a concerned. She was a nurse. She knew what to expect and everything was fine. Next, she took some Tylenol and went to bed. Next day, woke up totally legit, fine, back to normal. And again, Stephen, you mentioned before, and Mark, just how this is a normal response to the immune system revving up its system.
1: Yeah. And I think it's just helpful to know that, you know, anytime you, so that, so that you don't get worried, you know, if you have symptoms like that and then they resolve automatically, you know, spontaneously that that's, that's a good thing. I'm also trying, I've been working really hard to try and get, uh, to set the stage, to get a lot of sympathy for after I get the vaccine. So chicken soup and like, you know, that sort of thing. And it's we're, we're having mixed success at home about how sympathetic Katie is feeling willing to be after he gets the vaccine. So we'll, <laughs> we'll see. I'll keep you posted no, on that.
0: And we apologize, we apologize as well. We're having a lot of breakup on, the, on our end. It's kind of going out. Mark just left us by accident. He did not mean to leave us. He didn't just oh, no. stonewall us. We're, we're constantly, for some reason, been having streaming problems the past couple of weeks, but I'm letting him come right back in right now. So now he's, he's back on. Now you're back in, Mark. I appreciate it. Sorry about that. We apologize for the difficulties. We'll figure it out at some point in time. A few things just before we wrap up. I think that's a really important one. Just talking about, yep, you get the vaccine. It's could be it's, uh, it's it's expected. No, we we talked before. You didn't actually get COVID. It's like the people who believe that if you get a, a fever when you get the flu vaccine, that somehow it somehow gave you the flu, and that it actually is statistically relevant, or somehow you can actually get the flu from the vaccine. I think that's a uh, uh, totally overblown and not real reality, right, guys? That's just good old folklore. So, a few other questions that I wanted to talk before we end. If you already had got COVID, Stephen and Mark, just like that girl who got it twice, is should you still get the vaccine, or be open to it?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think again the, that in in those cases, the vaccine is likely to be able to boost your immunity, sort of like a second vaccine boosts your immunity from the first one. So all of the recommendations suggest that even people who have gotten COVID already are eligible and should, in fact, get the vaccine as well.
0: Yeah, great. And if you if you are the type of person who loves options, right? I think it's probably the first time in history. That we can you, you you can actually have a menu. Not right now, but like you could choose which vaccine you want. Clearly right now you're gonna get whatever's given to you, but maybe six months, seven months, a year from now, you might actually it might I mean that's the beauty of this where we might be able to fine tune the vaccine to have certain vaccines for certain demographics, certain types of people that work more effectively. This is just again, I think what i imagine. Is this part of the research, Stephen, like in the sense of like not only a vaccine, but having a menu, so to speak, having different variations for different types of people for a vaccine, or does that already exist? And I mean, and
2: and we see that with other vaccines that we have available too. I mean, there there are different vaccines against pneumococcal pneumonia that you get if you're older versus if you're younger, things like that. So absolutely, it's really helpful to have a number of different options that might work better in certain people than others.
0: Okay. Great. The last question I want to ask, totally unrelated vaccine. We have more stuff coming down the line. We are hopefully having, no for sure next week, we're having someone who specializes on vaccine hesitancy to talk about that, do a deep dive. We're hoping to get an immunologist on the scene to chat about this. We want to make you we do our best to help you feel safe to take the vaccine because this is a really important next step for, for COVID and the pandemic. We want to do everything we can to make it feel you're, you're, you're equipped to make the right decision. Before we end this, I got asked this question, Stephen. This was now two or three weeks ago. I failed to ask you. I saw it. Here's the headline. Biden is select Rochelle Walensky, my best guess of that name, to lead the CDC. I saw she's at Harvard. Your roommate, just joking, she's not. But I, every, every, basically, I just make everything a small world in Harvard. If they're from Harvard, you guys have tea every morning. That's how it goes in Harvard. Virtually, of course, virtually. So wh- what's the deal? Is this is this, is this person legit? Are we excited? Yeah, I I'm very excited. So, I've
2: met Dr. Lewens- Dr. Walensky Dr. a couple of times and 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 she's wonderful. So, she's actually I have a bit of a personal connection because uh, so Ali's PhD program, their program supervisor is her husband and he's also a professor here at Harvard. And so, they have like you know, they I've I've interacted with him a couple of times and so know her vaguely personally, but also really have been inspired by her professional work, which has been absolutely top-notch over the course of the pandemic. She's really addressed social inequities in COVID transmission and in outcomes. She's been a really big advocate for rapid testing and has been looking at a lot of the vaccine trials. She's really been just like one of the forefront researchers during the pandemic, but also has done a ton of really influential research on infectious diseases more generally. She leads the infectious disease division at Massachusetts General Hospital. I, I can't imagine somebody who's more qualified and also who I personally just trust more to take on this role and to really bring the CDC forward into this next era of their growth. So I'm really excited about it.
0: I'm stoked. I'm really happy. I mean, in light of the CDC, I know CDC has been done great, but in light of the challenges the past year, excited to see what this next year comes and how we grow from this. Last question I want to throw you away again. For Biden lays out a three-part plan for the first 100 days. Do you see that, Stephen, Stephen all for the first 100 days? Is that something that you seem like it seemed like a pretty good...
2: Yeah, I mean I think that that it makes a lot of sense. So and it's going to continue to be refined over time, but I think yeah. that the the thing that I'm Appreciate about it most is just that there's there's communication happening and happening early and so people are yeah. able to start getting ready for what's coming up next. So I think that in, in public health that communication and preparation really is as important as the things themselves that are being done in many cases. <laughs> so that's what I'm really excited about is just like the clear and open communication that's
0: happening. Absolutely great. I think we're gonna end this episode. Mark, any last words before you go and get vaccinated? I wish we could. I wish we could stream you. Live doing it on the podcast <laughs> yeah. as part of our benefits. I could maybe I could do an audio recording just of the so yeah, like just say a, out or something out. so we know it happened. Yeah,
1: yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay, sounds good. I'll let you know. We'll see, we'll see what happens as they as they roll it out. But I hopefully we will have some news for you in the next week or
0: okay. two. Okay, so. great. Well, thank you all. No, it's great it's to see, great you, to see yeah. you guys. Good to have you all back on once again. Thank you all for listening. If you can leave a re- review, please do. You can do that on Apple Podcasts. Support us patreon.com slash pandemic podcast or check the show notes for a one-time donation. And we will see you all next week. Take care and bye-bye.